up, Foxes fans, and welcome back to another edition of the U.S. Foxes podcast. Coming to you live, as always, from various parts of the United States, all the way across from the Pacific to the Atlantic. We've got you covered. I, as always, am your host, Matt Folks, coming to you live from San Diego, California, as well as my co-host, Mr. Chris Warner. He is up there in Del Mar. How you doing today, Christopher, on this fine, sunny Sunday? Matt, it stopped raining. I suppose that's the biggest win of the yeah. of the weekend. A crappy nice. weather, crappy performance. Yeah, it's been a not the best weekend, buddy. It was one of those rare days where the weather, um, you know, in the Midlands is actually better than the weather in San Diego. They're not very often. I know it was chilly, but it, it was absolutely pouring the rain in San Diego yesterday. So uh, I know it was chilly in London or in uh in KP, but it, at least they didn't have the water. Um, Jason, how are you uh, over in New York City? Mr. Jason Becker of the New York Foxes. What's your guys' weather like yesterday? It was uh, it was pretty frigid, below freezing. I'm a little disappointed, I have to say, after seeing some um, pictures around California this weekend. I was hoping that you guys would be out in your snow boots down there in, in San Diego. Dude. But I guess there was no, none of the white stuff down but in your tropical part of the world very close just 40 minutes from here they got uh, like six inches or something um oh, wow. so the, the elevation change uh, in san diego county is just crazy like within an hour you can literally go 10 degrees difference in temperature so they did get a lot of snow in certain parts but no it didn't quite make it to the beach where we are um but yeah so 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 cold for all the u.s foxes it sounds like uh but not as cold as Leicester's offense against Arsenal, um, we, uh, wow, just what a stinker, a stinker for the ages. Um, one of the worst displays we've seen in a very long time, a historically bad uh, display, as it were. Um, the boys just come out and look terrible for minute one against uh, an Arsenal team that just had a shooting gallery, basically. Um it, we, I, as soon as you saw the lineup, we found out Matters was sick, uh, so he wasn't going to be playing. It just kind of uh, worked as an omen for the rest of the match, Jason. Um, I guess your your thoughts as we, we started breaking this one down. Yeah. Um, we played well, I thought, defensively and didn't give Arsenal a lot of like clear looks at goal, but we've shown time and time again that we're just unable right now to well for for a while now we're unable to to play those types of games and and not concede and oftentimes you know our best shot at keeping um the other side out of our net or 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 to um to have them score less fewer goals than we score during the game is for us to attack and attack um, with intent and um, it was one of the most flaccid offensive performances I've, I've ever seen from, from the club which is you know I think on its surface you you look at one nil to Arsenal when we're missing you know our best player and you're like all right you know we'll take it but like what what are we doing in this league only having one shot attempt uh, on goal. It's just, you know, like, what's the point? Just go out and try try to make it a game. Yeah, it was just it, unreal. It seemed like it was pretty obvious to me, like, this is an Arsenal team that is historically good for them in a long time. Like, they have not been this good in a long time, and it was quite obvious that our only offensive chances were going to come on the break. They are not a team that was going to be broken down by us. And it just seemed to me, Chris, like every time we would get a little momentum and get on the counter and suddenly we would have numbers. Somehow we would have, you know, a three on two or a four on three. Uh, the guy that would have the ball, whether it was Nacho, whether it was Harvey, whether it was KDH, they would get forward, they'd get forward and we'd start getting a little excited at the blue foot. And then suddenly they'd stop and turn around and look backwards, allowing the entire Arsenal uh, defense to get back into the play. Um, Chris, is that pretty much your summarization of, of Matt, this I think as well? Sum perfect. You sum it up perfectly, mate. You were texting me that consistently every time. Like, when we get, when we were, we know what Brendan Rodgers' game plan is in these situations. It's play safe for the first 70 minutes, 
try and keep it as tight as possible, try and keep it nil-nil, and then look to push that last 20 minutes, maybe through substitutions or changing tactics. But in this instance, the ta- the changing substitutions happen, but nothing else, mate. I'm 100% with both of you guys. That was flaccid. It was poor. It it looked like nobody wanted to even be on the pitch at times. It, it was just so lackadaisical as well. And if you look at their goal, it's just us faffing around on the right-hand side with tippy-tappy, no one's put a foot in. We kind of just try and knock it to a player, but don't really knock it to him. And then all of a sudden, Arsenal go fast, break, score. I mean, that was the other thing that struck me as well, that game, was how quick Arsenal were, both going forward, but then, to your point, Matt, defensively reorganising themselves, getting back into shape and and getting rid of any sort of attack that we had. We were just off it in terms of pace, tactics, just everything. It was one to forget, I think, as the podcast title says, mate. Yeah, I, I think we were all hoping for a response. Uh, and we almost it almost seemed like the the players were just trying to cut their losses um, at, at, at Old Trafford last weekend, right? And just say, look, look, Clearly, the, the the universe and the referee are working against us here. We're not getting anything out of this game. Let's, you know, get to the final whistle, get out of here, um, you know, dust ourselves off, get back out there next week and, and make something of it. And we've seen this. Uh, we'll, we'll cover this, I think, a bit later in, in the episode. But it's like time and time again, whenever we – expects like a, a certain type of, of, of response um, and and um, like to, to expect to see a little bit more fight from from the team and just you know like when, when, when a loss or a run of results kind of sets up sets up in a certain way and 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 you just expect a, a natural human response to be like all right you know what we were wronged or you know this is a big one or what do we have to lose like I, this game was um we're playing with house money here i think there was you know no reason not to go for it and we just never really seemed to show up in these situations uh over the last few years and it's just it was disappointing because you know back home against arsenal we're not supposed to get anything you know without matters we're not supposed to get anything but it's almost one of those games where like you'd almost rather go down again like three nil again like did against um man united like going out and attacking them and going at them um uh in the first half and there just there was none of that yeah the, the, that's what really kind of pissed me off more than anything like it's it's as we said a historically good arsenal team top of the league uh very very dangerous very skilled players um but that that's not really the point the point for me was the fact that we just did nothing against it there was zero try like yeah. when you're playing a team like this fine you're not expected to win but at least go out there and act like you give a shit or um make some you know diving tackles make some efforts get your boots stuck in there on some of these plays rather than just letting them waltz right by you my god guys if i had a beer for every time that you know we watched a player get the ball and collect it and run right past the defender i'd have been drunk even faster than i got already after match. Well, i mean i i don't think we were that bad defensively i thought we were good defensively i think we did a really good job of limiting um clear-cut chances for arsenal but we did that at the expense of of our attacking play um there were there were some positives for me and i think victor christensen is, is a major positive um, it was really good seeing him play with the intensity that he played with. Uh, he really um, frustrated Saka throughout the game. I thought he did a very good job on him. Um, he drew a bunch of fouls late in the game. I think Saka was um, lucky to to get out of there without a yellow for, for, for some of those, or at least for the persistent fouling. And he played with a lot of aggression he did a good job of like getting up the pitch. He showed a good motor on him, um, so that was that was I think really encouraging to to see. Um, I, I do think that um, while we weren't nearly as tidy with the ball as we should have been, um, I thought Wilf did all right. 
in the middle of the pitch, considering like he hasn't had like a good run of games. He's dealt with injuries this year. He hasn't been playing so well, but I think like defensively, he did a pretty good job. He was like, winning duels, won most of his duels, um, had a few blocks in there, had a couple of interceptions and ball recoveries. I think for the most part, you know, the goal on that on that side, everyone who touched the ball, like totally, you know, screwed it up, and it was just. One of those where, you know, I just you're going to have one mistake a game. There's no way you can play against this Arsenal team and play a perfect defensive game, when, especially when you're defending for, for 90 minutes. But but those were two players yesterday that that I, I, I liked what I saw. Uh, and I know a lot of people were questioning dropping Mendy. But uh, what does it matter if you start, you know, Pappy Mendy in a game where you're, you're just – you're not going to even get up the pitch at all, so you might as well have more of a physical presence in the middle of the field. And um, I'd like to see more from from someone wearing the captain's armband, and that's uh, another discussion I think about leadership on the team. But just in terms of of I guess his overall game, Wilf I thought was was better than he has been for most of the season. And Christensen really looks like an outstanding signing because um, Saka had Luke Thomas on ice skates. Um, every game we've played against uh, Arsenal. So it was really good to see Victor come in and just like say, like, I don't give a crap who you are. Like, let's go. Let's, let, 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 you know, let's battle. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Big Dick Vic definitely had a better attitude uh, than and and made things way harder on soccer than we saw earlier in the year with Luke Thomas. Um, I will say, you know, he 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 does kind of have that fuck you attitude. And I yeah. think it's we're seeing it more and more. And I think that's a great thing. If we can get that to sort of spread amongst the back line and 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 our midfield, maybe that'd be would be nice. Yeah, I'd love for that to be just as as contagious as this chest cold that's going around New York City right now. So <laughs> apologies for my voice. No worries, bud. No worries. Well, it's just I, deeper I and sexier than people- normal. I think you bring up a great point there, Jason, about Christensen. And to me, um, it's really highlighted, I think, the struggles of Castagne recently. Because now we've got someone on that left-hand side that's kind of doing things that we have typically want to see in a fullback. And you look at Castagne's performance yesterday. And yeah, I mean, maybe he's not at fault for the goal, like you said, there's some tippy-tappy stuff. But I remember in that second half, especially, the long ball that went forward. And Castagne just lets it bounce, and it bounces straight over his head and puts us in the ship because now all of a sudden we've got the whole team facing our own goal running backwards. And to me, it, it's just it's just been one of those eye-openers, I think, since we've had Christensen come in the team about, I think, how much we need Ricky P down that right-hand side to give, I think, that balance that we're looking for. Because you could see the way Arsenal played yesterday. They were switching it quickly. If it was over on Saka's side, they'd get it over to the other side as, as possible. Our fullbacks would come in and then we'd struggle to get out to them. And so I really, I, it's been it's been kind of an eye-opener to me anyway about, I think, some of the struggles that Kastani has had this season because of the fact now we've got a left-back in that looks like he's the business. Yeah, he definitely does. And I think when you see, it's kind of tough too, because Timmy, he, he we've done nothing but sing his praises as far as like his work rate when he came into the side and the offense that he had produced when he first came in. I mean, right off the bat, he, he was kind of one of those players that really surprised us with his offensive production as well as his defense. Um, but yeah, what do you, I mean, what do you think, Jason? Is, is Chris right on there for you with him? Yeah, well, I think, um, we we've seen we give up a lot of chances um over the top on, on the on the right side um that just seems there seems to be a lot of of green grass there for for opposition wingers to to run into um and, and that's kind of a, a weakness in our setup um i wonder how much of that is down to castagna and how much of it is down to kind of how rogers wants to balance the the, the formation um you know he's pretty decent one-on-one you know doesn't get burned up a whole lot he's shown a little bit more going forward lately with with i mean no one showed anything going forward yet you know, yesterday but um over the last couple of games he has shown a lot more going forward playing with tete um there's you know there, there's a little bit of um chemistry developing there i think yet later in the game yesterday he did make a couple of good ghosting runs 
Um, it's just unfortunate that, that he couldn't get on the ball. Um, but I agree with Chris where that it does look like a soft spot in, in our setup. Um, I'm, I, but I don't know how much of that is down to Castania and how much of that is down to, to, to how the um, side is set up. But effectively, yeah, I mean, Chris is, Chris is right on though. That, that, that's where we look soft. A few of the uh, individual things that happened during the match that, I mean, there's not a lot for us to talk about um, on our side, but 26th minute, uh, there's the Trissard VAR call. Um, Danny Ward, he's, I don't know. At the time when I was watching at the bar, I was like, wow, we just got a makeup call from last week from the VAR officials. Then I watched it today again on the highlights. And you can, if you really look, you do see he does have Danny's arm. But still, uh, I'd love to get your opinion. We'll start with you, Chris, on that VAR call. I mean, whoever decides to set up the cameras at the KP, good for you, sir, on that one. Thank you. I mean, the camera was probably in the only place where you probably have seen that. Um, yeah, again, I think maybe it was a makeup call, but it, it's in, it'd be interesting to me to see the process involved in that. I don't necessarily know if VAR is there for that sort of call. Give, I'm not sure, mate, but yeah, fair play to the cameraman. It was a great angle. And it was, oh, once, God. Once you saw it, but to your point, man, though, once you saw it, you were like, oh, that's a foul. Like, you yeah. can't, but I mean, yeah, maybe a makeup call from last week. God bless you for saying you want to see. You'd love to see how the how these decisions are made, wouldn't we all? Jason, your thoughts? Uh, well, when it first happened, um, you know, I, we were saying to each other at, at, at Football Factory, like, "What is Ward complaining about?" Like, it just didn't look like there was much in in it. Um, Chris uh, giving kudos to the right place there um, it was a hell of a place, uh, an angle to have that camera. Um, it was a great spot. Um, I don't know if I would have looked for it or looked for it that way. It did look like a foul, but it did also look a little bit soft. Um, and was it a clear and obvious decision? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but you gotta, you gotta take your luck when you get it, man. Yeah, nice to have one go for our ways. Just, oh, I think I, you know, I'm sure. Um, the guys in the, in the, you know, um, with the earpieces on and the and the um, Hawkeye technology on their wrists are, are, are not big fans of Jason Becker because we know all the referees of the Premier League have, have been are big fans of the big uh, of um, U.S. Fox's podcast and yes. I'm sure they're all listening. <laughs> Heard me loud and clear. Um, so I don't know. I think you, we we were lucky to get it and. Um, but it was one of those plays where you're like, "Yeah, we're conceding today. This ain't right. this ain't gonna be a clean sheet." I mean, that that's like how I walked away from from that decision. Yeah, when VAR is one of your best defenders of the day, it's gonna be an, an issue. But to your point, Jason, yeah, we we it was it was one nothing at the end of the match. It wasn't you know five nothing. So defensively, we did do some work. Um, 46 minute, they do score. Uh, Martinelli gets through and is hurt. I have it in quotations in my notes right after. Did you, was he trying to say that indeed he stomped on his leg there? Is that what, it looked nasty. Did it look bad to you? It kind of looked yeah. like a glance to me. Uh, it looked like he came down with a lot of weight. Okay. Um, All right. Well, that's uh, that made it one nothing. Your thought, any thoughts uh, on the goal there, Chris, and, and how it all transpired? Yeah, as I said earlier, it, it comes from just us being by the halfway line, just tippy-tappy and not no one being decisive. Like, there were opportunities there that to just to get it further up the pitch. Like, mm -hmm. And we just didn't do it. And, it, yeah, it, it, you talk, we're talking about it now. It becomes frustrating because it's a 1-0 game where the only goal of the game is really a self-inflicted wound on ourselves mm. for being defensively stupid and switching off for 30 seconds. And the more you think about it now, the more it just frustrates you because that was the difference. Because second half, it was the game was a mess. It was just consistently being broken up by fouls, the ball being out of play. And I mean, it was a perfect game plan second half if it was nil-nil. But yeah, just a frustrating goal again. I mean, Matt, any... 
Danny Ward, could he have closed him down a little bit quicker? Could he? What do you think as the goalkeeper on the pod? No, it, you... it, it's it's one of those where you could almost see Danny, and this is part part of the problem with Danny. Is it's another one of those situations where you can almost see his brain, like he's working, he's thinking about it, and it's it's just you've got to be instinctive and say what you will about Casper. I mean, it was always instinctive for his good or bad. So, and with Danny, there just seems to be consistently this millisecond of time where you watch his brain. It's kind of the Danny panic mode where it's just like, like he just has that slight second and we've seen it burn him so many times. So yeah, it's, we've seen great improvement in the guy, but there's still, for me, it's just not instinctive. It doesn't seem to be second nature for him. And that's just so important at this level, Jason. Yeah, um, you know, remember Casper Smichael, he was a smaller goalkeeper, but he always did a really great job of making himself bigger in one-on-one situations. Yeah. And Ward almost seems to do the opposite sometimes. Um, there is a little bit of that. You can see it. And uh, I was, I think there's a really good point that you made about that kind of hesitancy and that kind of overthinking. Um, we see that a lot. We almost had a repeat of... Um, um, the Castagna debacle when he was going back to the goal and, and Ward was coming out and not coming out assertively to play that ball and make sure his defender knew what was going on. We see a lot of that from Ward. It went away during that like seven game stretch where he played like really well going up to the World Cup and it looked like a, a new Danny Ward who was um, making the defense his own uh, but he also did have a run of games with a, with a consistent back line. Now there are right. some newer players, and maybe he's just not quite as sure um, what to do with them. But I, I think it also um, – the whole team kind of suffered from that um, in the start of the second half. It's the same thing that we saw against Man United the week before. Like, what's going on in, in each dressing room? I'd love to see the difference between what Ten Hag – told his boys versus what Rogers told his boys, because the second half last week, we came out, looked awful. United came out and just dominated the game. Then in this game, we, we come out in the second half, just don't really do much of anything. Um, and it's like start of the half. It's when you should be the most focused, but like, again, like the, there's just some, something there. That's like the players are just kind of overthinking and not playing good instinctive football um and then just it's hard enough to win in this league with um what other teams are trying to do to you and you can't shoot yourself in the foot and it was like i'm wondering like how the players came out of that halftime and and why they didn't come out there as switched on as they should have been yeah decisiveness was was not there for sure um Last thing that I have on here, and really it was, in my opinion, probably the best chance of the entire match. 51st minute, uh, Harvey Barnes does a great job, works the ball completely down the left side, and puts one on a silver platter to Tete, who misses it by four inches uh, of just tapping one in for an incredible goal that would have been an absolute beauty on a postage stamp. Jason, uh, I see it kind of tossing your head around. What were your thoughts on that one? I don't know how easy of a finish it was at that speed, but it was a hell of a play by Barnes. And it was a yeah. great ball. So yeah. um, it's one of those where I'm sure Tete wanted that one back. Oh yeah, and probably yeah. would back himself to score on it. But it, it would have been uh, would have been a hell of a goal. It would have been a great piece of skill. And but yeah, you're right. I mean, that was what Harvey did there was probably like the only bright spot uh, offensively. It was a nice. It was a nice, really nice play by him. Yeah, Alan Smith was very, um, very complimentary of Harvey the whole match and, and speaking about how, how he was. And and that was the kind of goal that that was the only way we were going to score, <laughs> that it was going to have to be a play like that because they were making no mistakes and not letting our guys in, Chris. Yeah, I think the left-hand side was obviously wasn't was an area that I think we could have exploited more. Maybe you're right. I thought Barnes was pretty good. Um, I mean, and then you put the icing on the cake. If you want to go full circle, Yuri comes on. And then all of a sudden, after the game, he's in crutches, going back to his car. I mean, if you 
just to sum up the performance, we go and pretend. I don't know. I mean, I know it's normal before the scans to put your player in boot and have crutches going out to the car and stuff, but it didn't look great. I mean, in the moment, it looked like you probably rolled it over, but who knows how long it might be. But yeah, just to add icing on the cake to that performance, we go and lose a player that I don't that I think would have been a key part of the run in. It's yeah, just sucks. Yeah, I hope that's not it bad. for Yuri. Yeah. <laughs> it was encouraging. He, he he showed a lot of heart to stay out there. <coughs> Excuse me. Love to see that from the guy, but um, hopefully the news is good. But as we know, with lesser injuries, we get told something early, and it turns out <laughs> not yes as positive. For sure. Um, yeah, that was that was definitely a the, the photo showed up around that was just, you know, salt into the wound after that result. Um, so, yeah, I think we spoke of it earlier, but a point oh zero point oh one XG and out of that match from us, which is uh, in the history of expected goal. Um, <laughs> account of their account of the expected goal uh that is the lowest in the history of it um i hey we're making history man what do you what do you say lowest xg total you'll never sing that <laughs> that's perfect uh we did have our um match day correspondent he's been uh missing for a little bit but we did have our match day correspondent mr ollie mclean was there and uh, he was nice enough to send us a video of his thoughts of the match. Chris, whenever you're ready. Hey, Matt. Hey, your Foxes. Hope all is well. Just a quick word on the uh, on the game against Arsenal today. You can't you can't be too disheartened with a one 0 loss to to the team that's sat at the top of the table. But it's the manner that we played in for me today. <clears throat> Noticed that on one too many occasions that. There was just no urgency at all. Uh, just players didn't look interested, like they have done. Um, but to be fair, as soon as they, when when they scored the first, they got disallowed. Um, we did look a bit, a bit better. I started stringing a couple of decent passes together, but just lazy, really. Um, I feel like if we if we tried we could have we could have got something out of that game but there was just no heart in the game whatsoever uh, which is a shame because on our day we're, we're absolutely incredible but when we play like that with no no heart no courage just no nothing anyone will walk over us um, but yeah it is what it is truth be told I wasn't exactly expecting anything but. We go again midweek Blackburn and then away at Southampton. Uh, as always, we keep the faith. Try to anyway. What this is. Thanks to Mr. McLean. Yeah, summing up basically what we all were saying on his cold walk home uh, after the match. Uh, Jason, your thought you keep pretty much said exactly what we said about that thing. No heart and uh, yeah, just flaccid. I think is the word you use. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we know these are the types of games where um, we're going we're going in as an underdog. So why not show a little fight? Yeah, give give something. Well said, Ali. Uh, yeah, I agree with everything you said there. Yeah, thank you again, Ali. As always, looking forward to hearing from you again soon. Um, moving on, guys. Chris uh, pointed out a pretty. Um, Pretty cool anniversary, I guess. I, I definitely surprised me when you told me this. Um, four years of Brendan. Uh, when was that? Yes, was it yesterday or what was it tomorrow, today? What tomorrow. It? So tomorrow. As, as people listen to this, it's he became Leicester manager the twenty seventh of February two thousand and nineteen. And I don't know if you guys remember his first game in charge. <laughs> we lost. We lost. <laughs> <laughs> Surprised by but, that? What was? Was it two one? I think. I don't I think so. I I remember his first press conference, and I remember just being so pumped up about about Rogers, and yeah. we had just gone through 
the Claude Puel era, which, you know, talk about some boring football like we saw yesterday. Um, that was um, fairly par for the course under the, the Puel era. I mean, we weren't necessarily in danger of relegation or in any kind of relegation scrap like we are now. But, you know, the football wasn't fun to watch. And um, Puel used to always talk in, in abstract terms, right? He'd always talk about this project and this process, but he never laid out goals. And it was really hard to kind of get behind him as a fan, and it was hard to, to judge a season um, or, to, you know, to judge any sort of success. And I'm sure it was difficult for players to play in this kind of like mid table, you know, these meaningless games. Rogers came in right away in that first press conference. He talked about getting into the, into Europe. And that was a, a, a main goal and winning trophies. And these are two things that, that Leicester city were going to do uh, under him. And he, he, he just laid it right out there and that was such a breath of fresh air to me and i just remember texting my brothers and texting my brother ryan and said like this guy's a winner like look he, he was just picking up trophies at celtic which were expected but like that's what he's here to do that's what he did at celtic he was you know they were ruthless up there domestically um and you know that we we started to play some like really attractive football uh, under him but there were, I think, some signs, though, of, of some of the tension that 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 would would happen later on, or more recently, right, in, in his tenure. And he kind of, I remember being a little surprised. He talked about like um, the club spending money and like, oh, he knows that that like we're going to make the investments in the squad. And it was almost like I remember I'm thinking at the time like, is he already kind of trying to pressure the the board into to buying, you know enough players um but there was a certain like mentality switch right away when, when brendan joined and um i was excited and you know i don't know anyone who who wasn't really excited about you know having rogers and it really was a big coup back in the day celtic used to take all of our players and would take our manager you know like Gabby lennon martin o'neill they went from leicester to celtic and they were big, you know, big parts of, of our success back then. And now look at look at Leicester, able to do that, you know, back to Celtic. And um, it, it felt good, man. Like, felt really good. And, and, and you know, we dealt with some tough stuff over the, the months prior. And, you know, the, the, the passing of, of, um, of Ishai, which I do think that Puel handled really well with a lot of class. Um, but it was like, you know, like, we're back, you know, this, 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 this belief, this fearlessness is back on the side. Yeah. I remember too, I being just it's so stoked because it was multidimensional for me. Not only were we getting um, a manager that with tons of recent success at Celtic, um, we also got to piss off Celtic to your point, Jason, because none of them could believe that you know, Brendan was going to leave their fucking massive club, as they like to remind us, uh, at every chance. He would never leave their massive club to come to little old Lester. So I particularly enjoyed that part. I also, um, I, I was really excited because um, Brendan kind of left the Premier League in a shitty way, and I think he was going to have an axe grind and was going to have a lot to prove. So I thought all of these things coming together are only going to be positive uh, you know, for little Lesta and and him coming in and with a different mentality, a big club mentality. You know, this is a guy that, you know, say what you will about his time at Liverpool was successful and he he did well with, you know, players like Suarez and and Gerard and and he was he was putting a stamp on this club, um, which I feel like Claude for whatever he did, he never really made a stamp on this club where I feel like Brendan did, Chris. No, I agree with you both. I think that that was the biggest, it, it felt like a good fit. I think one of the things that you often see, and you've seen it this year in some of the managerial decisions that have happened kind of in 2023, 
is that the decisions that the club makes don't inspire a fan base and they don't bring that sense of, oh shit, something might happen here. And I think that's what we got when we got that Rogers signing. To your guys' points, we got a guy that had that had an axe to grind. He thought the entire Premier League was against him. He wanted to prove himself. He think he 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 thought whether or not you agree with him or he thought he got done over badly at Liverpool. Um and he did that. He won everything he needed to win it at Celtic came and I mean he took us to that next level. I think Leicester fans in 2018, 2019 under Poel could see what we had in a squad and could see some of the potential that we had and some of the players we had. Like we had quality, quality players, and it felt like Poel Ball, as the fans now call it, this tippy tappy side to side, knock it backwards, was not maximizing the potential of the squad. And I think Rogers showed in that last three months of the year, and then especially starting on his own in 2019, like what an what what a squad we had in that first year under him. Holy shit. Like, I mean, we played some of the, we went on great runs. We played some of the best football I think I've ever seen Leicester play in my entire life. And I mean, yeah, it was a, it was a raging, it was, it was just a perfect site, perfect decision by the board. And um, yeah, it was a, it was, it, yeah, it, 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 I know personally about you guys, but it gave me that Martin O'Neill vibe again. It just gave me that sense of like we had someone on the sideline that was rooting for us and just his demeanor in that first year as well. He always looked mean. He always looked like he was willing to like choose someone out if they did something wrong. And I was like, that's what I want in a manager. I want someone with that passion. And yeah, I mean, since then, yeah, things have happened and maybe we've got, we can talk maybe more about some of the things that frustrate us as the guy in charge, but to go full circle. Yeah. It was a really, really, really exciting appointment when it happened. And Chris brought this up uh, to us. He, he kind of mentioned in our group chat, we should do our, you know, our favorite positive thing about Brendan or negative uh, thing about Brendan and something we wish Brendan would get better at. And um, I have my positive is obviously the FA cup. Um, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty easy one. I feel like, um, and I, you know, doing something that we had only dreamed about for literally the entire history of our fandom and the entire history of this club and, and getting that done on a day uh, that will forever be, you know, etched and engraved in any Leicester fan's mind. So, um, you know, historical things like that tend to tend to take that spot on the list. What's your uh, favorite positive thing, Jason? Is it same thing? Am I stealing the stealing the easy one? Yeah, for anyone who's listening and uh, watching the, the live screen, I do have a picture of Brendan Rodgers holding the FA, hoisting the FA Cup um, behind me. Uh, that was an incredible run um, to, to win that to win that trophy, and it was something that it was almost like our our white whale for for all of these years. And a lot of Leicester fans, um, and and I can certainly speak for myself and say. I never dreamed about winning the Premier League. It was always that FA Cup. That was always the the, the, the trophy that I thought we could possibly get um, because the, the Premier League just seemed so out of reach. Um, love that about, um, you know, that that's the highlight of, of Rogers' turn. But, you know, he got us into Europe, uh, you know, in consecutive seasons. Um, you know, our, our European performances were kind of, you know, up and down. But got us to a set. Well, we backed in kind of, but still got us to a semifinal, yeah. um, and uh, was, I think, for for any Leicester fan, I mean, getting to go see your our club in Europe is is um, is the pinnacle. I mean, that it's just it's just an incredible uh, experience. Um, I think Rogers is. Um, the players have always seemed to really like him. There've always been a, like one or two outliers for the year, but you can see that the players like Brendan Rogers. Um, and that's key as that doesn't always happen. Um, and Rogers has shown um, sometimes, you know, he's shown a lot of tactical flexibility. I think uh, a criticism that would always get lobbed at, at Rogers is like, Oh, he's doing the same thing over and over again. I'm like, actually, I think he does the opposite. I think he kind of changes set setups and formations, you know, 
quite a lot. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but the man understands football, you know, I, uh, absolutely. Um, and I think if you look at his um, overall tenure, it's been good. Um, there have been a lot of challenges. He did this all, you know, throughout a pandemic, which is really difficult, you know, on, on the club and I'm sure the players. Um, yes, we were disappointed. I was disappointed that we didn't finish in, in Champions League in one of those two times where we finished fifth place. I think it was there for the taking. And we should have gotten it in the position that we were in. But overall, yeah, Rogers talked about disrupting the top six, winning silverware. And you have to say that he delivered on those promises. And um, I will always appreciate Brendan Rogers for doing that. Definitely. Chris, what do you got? So, yeah, I think you two have one and two on that list. Obviously, the FA Cup, the European trips that we've been on. Um, my third, I'll go with, do you remember that run in 2019, October through December, where we won nine on the bounce and we were just not only just beating teams, we were battering teams. We we did Arsenal over at the KP 2-0 that, in that run and we looked just incredible i remember we had the everton game with the ianacho var decision at the end of it where it was was it on it was off no then it was on and everyone went bonkers we battered villa battered newcastle like we were not just to your guys's point rogers coming in and emphasizing we were going to change it we were doing it on the pitch and that run i think was just incredible and yeah towards the end of the year it didn't go our way, and whether that was just to the size of squad, players tiring, those sorts of situations happening. Um, it, yeah, disappointing, I think, is a great word to describe it, but that run was just incredible. And I think that probably feeds me into my biggest frustration with him is that I think, Jason, you said this, um, is that as a fan, you can get very frustrated with him because, yes, I think he definitely knows what he's doing. But at times, that lack of communication to the fan base can just get so frustrating. And then on top of that, when he does communicate, the neg the consistent negativity, and I think about last summer as well, as like, yeah, as fans, we know about the situation in the club. We know there's no money available. We're not going to get on your back. We know it's not your choice. You've said it twice, three times. If there was money available, we'd get players in. At that point, just keep your mouth shut. You don't need to keep reiterating, reiterating. It felt like he was doing it solely for the purpose of himself and himself only. So when he went to that next interview, he was like, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And that is just one of those frustrating things I have with him is just sometimes I think the communication to the press, to the fan base is just not what we want to hear as fans. And... um it, 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 he'll still do it. We'll listen and we'll chat and on our group thread about the Thursday morning or Friday morning press conference and someone will post whatever was whatever spiel came out that day and half of us will be like, why? Why does he need to say that? And I think that just that media management is just something that I think is frustrating and maybe something that he could think about a little bit more as he goes forward as Leicester manager. Yeah, I have that as my negative as well. The low point was blaming fans, you know, um, earlier this season uh, was a really bad look. And I do think, Chris, you make it's a perfect point. Like, we we love and laud him for his, his genius and his uh, footballing brain. But I think sometimes he his brain is almost so, his football brain is so complex that he kind of thinks everyone else is just stupid and cannot grasp there's no way that we as a fan base can grasp what he's trying to do and explain and because of that that arrogance kind of comes and leaks into when he does make comments and things and i think sometimes he gets in his own way and trips over his own feet jason yeah um i think uh sometimes that um comes across in, in how the players play uh, we've had a lot of injuries and and there are questions to be asked about what how those have been managed and and how the players have been managed um and um you know there's certainly a lot of talk about 
players being pushed into zones that maybe um, they shouldn't have been um, and, and us not really handling the injuries as well as we have. And um, that's really cost us over the last few years. Um, but I think these last two games are good examples, Matt, of what you're, when you're talking about complexity and, and, and overcomplicating the game. Sometimes I think that happens to the players where like just adding too much and instead of just kind of simplifying the game. And when you have a lot of injuries, when you're forced into rotation by default fault, or you're forced into to, to playing guys who aren't in your top 11, you need to simplify the game. You need a bread and butter formation kind of setup where it doesn't matter who you're playing. Doesn't matter who your opposition is. Doesn't matter what your 11 is. You can put these guys out there and they can go through those motions. They can play that in their sleep. They can play that way when they're exhausted. They know what to do. They have that kind of just those instincts are there. And because he's switched up, you know, formations and setups and done all this so many times, we don't really have that identity, right? There's no Leicester identity right now with football. It was very easy to say what our footballing identity was. When I'd say, for example, when we won the Premier League, it's very easy to talk about like what Man City does um, and, and how they set up to play a game or how Liverpool pool sets up to play the game but it's really difficult to do that about Leicester and I that's one thing that I think always think it's always been I guess a frustration uh, of mine and I think um you know a reason for um results that that you know don't go our way when when we should go into some some of these games with a with a fighting chance a few years back we played when we played Villa um four times in a season, you know, we were like that was a fresh, you know, we, we lost to them in the just really frustrating circumstances, got knocked out of the cup. Um, we were the better side, should have won the game. It was, you know, um, another BS refereeing decision that game, but we played Villa, Aston Villa four times. And we were, you know, um, top six side, right? Um, and flying high and playing well and we're the better side and we played four different formations against that crappy austin villa team where it's like no we should play we're going to play our game and you're going to adjust to us and i just like i just that always sticks out of my mind as like uh, um an example of 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 what rogers you know does sometimes and sometimes does a little too often that's a great one. I, I, yeah, that frustration of not sticking to our philosophy and trying to, yeah, I think both you guys sum it so, perfectly. It's so weird. It's like, why? It's just like he, it's like he was just, as a personal vendetta to just prove to the world how fucking smart he is. He's mm -hmm. It's like, bro, <laughs> bro, you're doing fine. It's, yeah. Yeah, he definitely gets in his own way. He could do himself, you know, a, a lot of favors um, by sort of getting everyone on the same side. Um, and and you guys made some good points. Maybe he doesn't feel like he necessarily needs the fans right on, on his side. But when you're going through tough times, that's when you want to present a united front. That's where you want your fans and your players fighting together and everyone on the same side. And we did get a lot of excuses this this year. Now some of them were were, were just uh, you know I empathize with with Rogers. I mean you, you can't expect to compete in this league and um, not really do any serious business in a summer transfer window. I mean that that's just ridiculous. Um, so I mean Rogers definitely earned earns um, some i don't know some some empathy points right from from the fan base but it was a really really bad start to the season but you know you got to get everyone together and fighting together and you can't always football your way out of every problem sometimes you have to fight your way through sometimes you need the fans to do that to help you to you know get on the other other team to get on the referees to kind of suck that 
goal in for you when you need it. Um, and, you know, if you're th – these other teams are, are out there trying to knock you down, trying to punch you in the mouth, and you're facing against a team that's desperate to to win the league, to get in the top four, or to survive themselves. That's like walking into an alley and there's a, you know, a big guy with, with some, some, you know, uh, who's ready to mug you. And you're probably not going to kind of, you know, figure out and kind of parkour your way out of that or kind of outsmart him. Sometimes there's nowhere to go and you'll have to just fight your way, right way through to survive. And um, there were times over the last couple of seasons where, um, maybe we could have done a little bit more of that. Um, but that doesn't seem to be Roger's kind of personality. And that's kind of, um, it doesn't seem to be the side's personality to, to play that way either. That's perfectly leads into um, my next question, which was, what do we wish Brendan could get better at? And mine, mine is, yeah, relating to fans and uh, showing a bit more, of the I, the common man, I guess, like, act a little bit more like a common man, show a little bit more everyday guy, passion. Um, you know, some of these times we see him just casually talking to a referee when we all want to see nothing more than him screaming at the referee. Um, he, he just always has this measured approach when I, I think sometimes a lot of us would like to see a little bit more passion about some of these things. So, um yeah, what do you think? What do you think? So, Matt, are you saying that what uh, Brendan Rodgers couldn't improve at is being more is being Nigel Pearson? Yes, definitely. I would love that. I would love a pinch of uh, Nigel would do Brendan well. I think not. You never go full Nigel, but uh, I do think that a pinch of uh, Brendan and a little bit of the ostrich uh, attitude would go a long way um, in helping him. Um, Chris, what do, what do you have on that? I think I'd like to see him be more brave. I think one of the problems that we have, and we always talk about this, and Jason talked about it uh, this, just earlier on, um, Ten Hag at halftime goes in, changes the game, we lose 3-0. This, this afternoon, I don't know if you guys saw it, the Carabao Cup final, same guy again. Newcastle all over them in the second half. What's he do? He immediately makes two changes to try and just get the game back under control. I think of all of the frustrations we had as a fan base this season before the World Cup, in Rodgers' lack of an inability to even want to make a substitution, and then when he went to make a substitution, pretty much the entire fan base is like, well, that was the wrong one. Like, what are you doing? We obviously saw that this for this needed to happen. So, for me, I would like to see more of that just bravery of like if the game is going to shit or like it's obvious that we need to make a change here. Someone's not performing or whatever. Just do it. Live with the repercussions afterwards. Defend your decision. Ultimately, if you make the right decision, you make the wrong decision. If you can defend it in that moment, then as a fan base, we can't we can disagree, but we can't get angry at the fact that you made a decision. What we do get angry at is just your, at times, inability to make a decision. So I would ask for him moving forward, be a bit braver in those moments, trust the squad, and just make a decision. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is a good kind of thought, right, um, here, because the board has clearly shown that they're not going to make rest decisions with, with Rodgers, right? And he's here, and he probably will be here through the, the course of his contract unless, you know, things really go haywire or someone comes in and, and offers, you know, a, a buttload of money to, to get him. And who knows, Chelsea may panic and bully is just seems to be uh, set on, uh, on burning up as many pound notes as possible while owning that, that, that club. Um, but look, Rogers is here and um, overall, it's been good. I mean, this is the most successful era of of um, of football that we, that we've ever had. Like, oh, you know, sustained success. And um, so, some of these are kind of like first world problems. But I think that a lot of times, you know, we, we can kind of make these criticisms because we see that there's more there. 
and um, and we see that there is still more potential with some of these players and and with this combination, you know, of Rogers uh, and the squad that he has. So, yeah, I, I think that you guys are all right. Like, get get the boys, uh, get the, the fans on your side, get the players fighting more. I think we need to kind of simplify the football a, a little bit more. And um, yeah, I, I think those are those are all things that you know if, if Rogers did a bit more of, um, I think would lead to, to to more success. Yeah, it's we say it a lot, but I it's you know we're so far from the days of you know Mickey Adams and Dave Bassett and things like that. It it does seem funny when we start talking about where we are as a club and and start nitpicking because yeah, Jason, we are. This is the greatest. We're in the glory, I mean, time. Yeah, but, you know, not very managers, not very many managers make it this far at any club right. in this division. Right? There, there really aren't. There are only a, a couple of other managers that have. This is the longest that Brandon Rogers has ever been at a club. Um, so we saw in January that new signings are needed, and you constantly need to kind of refresh the club. Um and, and it's important and things go stale. doesn't matter how good someone is, unless you have the best of the best and you can constantly kind of refresh your squad. Um, you're, it's going to go stale eventually. Um, there are, you know, managers that have been able to kind of withstand all that and have sustained success. Um, Alex Ferguson at, at, at Man United is an example, but he would constantly, he would, he would always bring in a couple of new players um, each year. Um, Pep Guardiola, right, is another one. But now you look at Liverpool, it's gone awfully stale there. They've brought in some new guys too. Um, so sometimes that just happens, and there's there's no escaping that. Um, I was just looking at some statistics just over the last, like, four years, and our, our shots per game just have decreased each year, and we're now averaging a full – shot on target less than when Rodgers uh, took over. Probably even more because we weren't shooting as much on the clock well that season. We probably had uh, – um, so we, we, we've seen a massive decline there in the number of opportunities that 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 we create. And um, I, the Arsenal game proved it with point yeah. zero zero one um, XG. So the, the – Things are getting stale, though, and that is a little bit of the reality here. We're in a, we're still in a relegation scrap, um, so it's going to be interesting next season to see what happens um, and to see if Rogers is able to be at the helm and, and oversee what's going to be a massive squad rebuild by default. It just it has to be. We've got players out of contract. Madison's going into the last year of his contract. Um, we're, I think we're all think that he's going to be sold. And these are, this is, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of, um, of quality that we're going to lose. That's going to be very difficult to replace. And for a lot of Rogers tenure here, he's relied on that individual brilliance to carry us, especially now. Um, you know, we lean very heavily on, on James Madison to do something special. Um, when are the goals have dried up from our attackers we just don't create chances during games. So something is, you know, we're going to see a much different Leicester City next season. Um, we still aren't guaranteed to see a much different Leicester City in the Premier League, right? There's still a lot of points that, that are still need to be won um, this season. But um, something's going to change, and um, we'll have to see if, if Rodgers will be the man to see that through. I think there's a direct, you can draw a direct line. This is for another podcast, but I do think that there's something to be said for um, the, like you said, the, the shots going down and then also just the reality of uh, Jamie Vardy uh, getting older and the, yeah. the fact that he has been, 
he has been our attack uh, for so many years. Yeah. And, and we're just seeing the a reality that we all, I guess, pretended or tried to pretend forever that was not going to happen. And that he was this ageless freak and we could rely on him forever. And, and we're now seeing the repercussions of that and, and not having a direct replacement necessarily for him. But that's for another podcast. Uh, I think we can dive into that. Chris, what did you want to say, bud? I would just say one last point. If I'm a glass half full guy, which I am sometimes i echo jason's points um a hundred percent and i would say that maybe this is the catalyst that the fresh start is exactly what rogers needs and maybe Mm. he needs the whole squad half to lose to lose half the squad to make it feel again like it's a brand new squad with opportunity and allows him to refocus and so maybe if there was a if there was a positive to come out of that, that maybe this summer is an opportunity for us to kind of get away from that staleness and think about it as a brand new fresh start for not only just the squad but also for the manager. And you guys talked about you know the comments that he's made to the media and sometimes you know we, shots at people unnecessarily, not necessarily presenting a united front and kind of self preservation mode, but. He, that is one thing that he does sound genuinely excited about. Like he brings it up pretty often and he seems to really be excited for this opportunity to, to rebuild the squad and, um, and, and work with some new players. So hopefully he kind of, you know, it, it, Rogers is still here. He does approach it with, with a kind of the gusto in his voice when he, when he does talk about that, those possibilities. Yeah, he definitely, it's always an optimistic tone. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. So I, I, yeah, there's a lot to be said for that, bud. Um, we are at over an hour already, guys. Um, so we'll, we'll wrap this one up. We do have some pretty, pretty massive matches this week, starting with Tuesday versus Blackburn. Our FA Cup journey continues uh, with a matchup we all were very excited about. I don't think we could have done much better. Shout out to Emil for, for that nice little uh, poll. Uh, I guess quickly, guys, Blackburn, it is a team. Uh, they're th- three games in a row. Uh, they've won three in a row on the bounce. Um, so it's going to be one of those lower level sides trying to prove themselves, show that they can play a higher level football. That's always a dynamic here. When you have young, hungry players that want to show that they belong to a Premier League side. They use it as an audition. We've seen it a hundred times against us. Uh, so that is a scary matchup. It's great to be playing a lower side, but we do have to deal with that, Chris. Um, your thoughts going into Tuesday quickly. Yeah, um, I think we'll win. Um, yeah, they're Blackburn fourth in the fourth in the championship. Um, they've that championship is a crazy league, by the way. If anyone if anyone's interested in kind of watching another league for the rest of the season, highly encourage the championship this year. There's nothing between like the top ten. Um, but yeah, I think we'll win. Um, I think we've yeah it's a great opportunity for us. I think we just need to take this as seriously at the moment as we do the Premier League, because I genuinely think if we can get another decent draw in the next round. Who knows? Like there could be Wembley could be on the cards and it would be fantastic for all of, to be able to get 40, 45,000 Leicester fans down there to kind of make it up a little bit for the limited fans that could go down for the FA cup due to COVID. So yeah, I think we go all in. And I think we need to win on Tuesday, Matt, because Saturday is such a huge game as well. Bottom of the league, away from home. You know what Leicester are like in those situations at times. So if if we can win, just get that sense back of what winning feels like. I think that will do us huge going into Southampton away. I'm with you. I think it's it's a momentum thing would be just incredible for us uh, heading into that Saturday, uh, 9.30 Pacific time. A uh, nice little late kickoff for us, and, and so really stoked about that. But I'm with you. I think um, get a little bit of momentum, uh, put some goals, remind ourselves that we are a good football team that can win matches. We were hard done by some referees. Uh, let's forget about that Arsenal match. And, yeah, you're you pretty much on the same page there, Jason. Yeah, well, I was certainly a lot more excited for the uh, Blackburn game uh, when the draw was made uh, than I am now because they are playing good football. They're 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 really you know climbing up the table. It's going to be a tough game, um, but as you said, Matt, a win on Tuesday and a win on Saturday, and suddenly the season looks and feels a lot different. 
Uh, it's one thing when we talk about Rogers. Um, it's one thing I didn't mention is I, I, I do appreciate his approach to, to cup football. Um, he takes the cups very seriously. And those are our best chances to win silverware. Um, and I think he will put out a, str- a strong side. Um, if we can get that win on Tuesday, which it, it is going to be tough. Um, but suddenly Wembley is there and in sight. And if we can get to Wembley, now you look back at Rogers' tenure, and damn, it looks a lot better. And I mean, there's already there's already an argument to make that he is our best ever manager. But now you factor in more Wembley trips. You know, now four four year over four years into it, um, and you know he has the opportunity to really to really seal it. Um, with, with a cup run um, and really kind of make this season feel a lot more positive. So um, I am looking forward to Tuesday. So I don't mean to act like, um, you know, not uh, I am because a win and, and, and suddenly, you know, go the quarter, we're in the quarterfinals and, and Wembley's on the horizon. And then, you know, if we can win against Southampton this weekend, again, we always have, we play weird games against them. Um, but um that's another kind of relegation rival that kind of gets um, put down a bit further. Um, it could be an opportunity for us to kind of, um, you know, give us a little bit of breathing room there um, if, if the results go our way around us. Definitely. A little bit of trepidation, but uh, I, I am positive. And I think, you know, the, obviously Yuri being hurt, that's uh, he's been pretty important to our FA Cup run. So let's all pray and hope for the best uh, that um, our favorite Belgian can can recover and and maybe put his mark on mark on the match as well. Um, anything else, Jason, Chris? Anything before we let the people go? I do want to say uh, give a shout out to my dad. It's his seventy uh, first birthday today. Um, so big shout out to my dad, uh, Sonny Folks. Yeah, love you, buddy. He. Um, helped me really submit my fandom of this team because uh as a kid he was buying jerseys from england and paying ridiculous shipping fees for a team that he'd never heard of he was never a soccer fan but he was always insanely supportive of me and my love of this random team in the midlands of england so shout out to uh sunny folks on his birthday and um yeah guys thank you for listening as always to the u.s foxes podcast it's a uh, crazy time right now but hey it was only one nothing against the league leaders so We'll take what we can get. We've got a chance here to get another cup run going. And, yeah, guys, March, the, the, the games in March and April are very winnable, and they're against teams that um, we, we have a very good chance at uh, getting out of trouble. So hopefully we can uh, springboard on a little momentum and keep things going from there. So, yeah, guys, as always, thank you for joining us on the U.S. Foxes podcast. Shout out to our other co-host, Jim, who's doing some traveling, couldn't join us from Houston as usual. So we'll get back with him later. And uh, yeah, we'll be back to normal uh, then. So for Jason in New York and Chris up in Del Mar, I'm Matt. Thanks to Ollie, our correspondent in Lesta. And yeah, guys, we will see you next time on the U.S. Foxes podcast. Peace.